Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Living the Gospel of Life. I'm your host, Letitia Velasquez, and as always, we're going to start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. O Mary, bright dawn of the new world, mother of the living, to you do we entrust the cause of life. Look down, O Mother, upon the vast numbers of babies not allowed to be born, of the poor whose lives are made difficult, of men and women who are victims of brutal violence, of the elderly and sick killed by indifference or out of misguided mercy. Grant that all who believe in your Son may proclaim the gospel of life with honesty and love to the people of our time. Obtain for you then the grace to accept that gospel as a gift ever new, the joy of celebrating it with gratitude throughout their lives, the courage to bear witness to it resolutely in order to build, together with all people of goodwill, the civilization of truth and love to the praise and glory of God, the creator and lover of life. Amen. You the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Once again, we're honored to be joined by Nancy Valco, um, who is a legal nurse consultant and an RN going on 50 years. She likes to call herself semi-retired, but I don't believe it. And she is a recipient of the USCCB People of Life Award. Nancy's a frequent guest on the show, and as always, we welcome you, Nancy, to discuss many items of the day. Thank you, Letitia. I'm very pleased to be here, and I do represent, as a spokesperson, the National Association of Pro-Life Nurses. Didn't you help form that, Nancy? Weren't you in on the forming of that group? No, I came in at, at the end. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I... Since for a while, and um, so I do a lot of their spokesperson things. Great. Um, yeah, you mentioned, um, I was just telling Nancy before we got online uh, on the show here, that my second, my middle daughter, my second child, is finishing up a Bachelor of Science in Nursing at Franciscan University this year. So I'll have my second RN in the family. My brother's an RN. His, his future wife is an RN. My cousin is an RN, surrounded by wonderful nurses, and I know how important they are to sustain life. In fact, I recently heard something that might amuse you, Nancy. The Tucker Carlson, I think it was, had a show on how many uh, jobs are being replaced by technology. I and saw said, that. And nursing said, doctors, doctors aren't. Nurses are safe and doctors aren't. And every nurse in the, in the world was going, uh-huh. <laughs> we why, why is that, nurse? Nancy? You tell us. You know, when you're sick you want somebody to take care of you. And we do have some great male nurses, but I wanted to be a nurse ever since I was five years old. And the whole thought of taking care of people was my idea of heaven. And uh, I just love my patients. And somebody asked me one time, they said, you have so many great nursing stories. I don't have those. And I said, yes, you do. I consider every patient a story. Mm -hmm. They've got a story. I want to find out little bit about them so I can take care of them better, how they like to learn things, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always want, I always wanted the hardest patients because I said those are the <laughs> ones that need us the most. For sure, and sometimes emotionally as, me- as well as physically. And uh, you so. recently said, so we'll never replace nurses for the hands-on loving care that they give, professional care, but um, doctors unfortunately in many cases have been reduced to di- diagnosticians which may be replaced by, let's say, one doctor in a central location who is getting fed data from nurses, perhaps, um, will be able to take the place of hands-on doctors, which is a shame. It shows that maybe we should let doctors do some nursing, right? 
We've well, and I, I really think doctors are absolutely necessary. I knew I didn't know what doctors, uh, everything the doctors did, mm-hmm. but I had a chance to go to medical school after I was working for a while. Some doctors were going to sponsor me, and I said, you know, let me think about it. And I said, thanks, but no thanks, because what I realized what I want to do is do what I do, but I want to know what you know. Yeah. So I can give care better. And they said, but you're never going to make any money at it. And I said, I didn't get into it for that anyway. Yeah, most people go into nursing so you don't go into it for the money. It's uh, it's great to have more knowledge. And, you know, learning is a lifelong thing. I certainly consider myself a lifelong learner, considering a degree in medical ethics, simply because I'm fascinated as you are with the field. That's why you're such a great guest. Now, you, you mentioned that you... Um, you presented a paper at Georgetown University, I don't know how many years ago it was, on uh, medical ethics. Well, a couple ethics. years ago, it was for the Cardinal O'Connor Conference, and I was asked to give a speech there. Which is and coming I, up, by the way, in, I believe it's 10 days, just before yep. the March for Life. Am I right? The I day think, before the yes. March for Life. Well, the March for Life is on the 18th, so it would be the 17th of uh, January. Yeah, and that was just such a gift. And I talked about medical ethics because that is my passion, along with the law. I'm also a legal nurse consultant. Mm. I got a, a, a certification in that. And what I talked about, because these were young people in college and, you know, didn't know, they weren't alive when Roe versus Wade was decided. And I talked about what happened to medical ethics when Roe versus Wade was decided because I was there. I saw the deterioration of ethics and how it happened over the years. And it's absolutely shocking. And I did not join the pro-life movement at first. Um, I always call myself a draftee because even though I agreed with them about abortion, they made one comment that really bothered me. They said, well, if we legalize abortion, it will lead to legalizing uh, infanticide and euthanasia. And I was professionally offended. I was a very young ICU nurse working with trauma cases, and I thought, that's crazy. That couldn't happen. You know, abortion's <laughs> bad, but this couldn't happen. Uh, yeah. But I found totally. out through things in my life how true it was. And so I talked to the kids. I told them um, basically uh, three different stories about my life and how it. I found out the infanticide was coupled with medical discrimination against people with disabilities. And that was in 1982 with the Baby Doe case where Mm -hmm. a little newborn boy uh, with Down syndrome had a hole between his windpipe and his um, stomach tube, the esophagus. And it's a common birth defect and it's easily remediated. But Mm -hmm. the parents, on the advice of their their obstetrician, who said all such children were blobs, decided not to operate. We heard about it. It was being appealed, and my husband and I wanted to adopt that baby. We were this just This baby shocked. was in the center of the country. What, what, what state was that from? I remember hearing about it. It was Bloomington, place. Indiana. Bloomington, yeah, yeah. And we were shocked, and my husband said, let's adopt the baby. And I was actually pregnant with my third child, and I said, oh, sure, that, uh, let me see. Found out that the parents refused uh, everybody who wanted to be an adoptive parent. And we were following this thing, and a judge made the decision for the parents saying that parents have the right to make any treatment decision for their child, even if it would result in death. He was also not fed, and six days later, 
while his case was being appealed on an emergency basis to the Supreme Court, he starved and dehydrated to death. And I was horrified. In nursing school, we knew this. In fact, that was one of our ethics cases, you know, is what would you Mm -hmm. do? And, of course, you advocate for the patient, even sometimes against the family. You go for the patient's best interest. I was terribly upset about it. And um, then a few months later, I had my daughter, Karen, who surprisingly was born with both Down syndrome and a severe heart defect. In fact, so severe that at first they thought it was inoperable and said, take your baby home and she will die in two months, two weeks to two months, which was just a total shock. Well, I started doing research. I signed myself out of the hospital when my obstetricians did not come back and I said, I'm getting out of here. I've got to do some research. And this was in 1982. So I went home and researched uh, everything about heart defects, and when I went in to see the doctor when she was three weeks old, he was surprised that she lived that long, and he said, "Uh, wait a second, let me take another look at her. And then he said, oh, my gosh, it's not that bad. She has an 80 to 90% chance of survival with just one open-heart surgery by the time she was six months old or 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. I was delighted. I said, you know, I want to know everything that could possibly save her. And then he gave me the choice. He would support me 100% if I decided not to operate, which meant Karen would die. And I was horrified. I -hmm. said, you know, my daughter has to be treated like any other child with the same defect, uh, heart defect. I said, she's not a fetus even, for God's sakes. And I said, otherwise, it's medical discrimination. Mm-hmm. And the doctor backed off, and he said, no, no, I'll, I'll support you. But I never could really trust him again. Yeah. Later on, well, when You my wonder daughter, if he's going to do something without you looking. Yeah, my trust was gone. And mm-hmm. then when she was about four months old, she got a pneumonia and had to be in the hospital. And my trusted pediatrician, who I told exactly, you know, nothing was to be done without my permission and blah, 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 I was tipped off by somebody that she had made my daughter a do-not-resuscitate. That's horrible. I guess my did not even tell me. Is that even legal, and, Nancy? Well, I could have taken her to court. Uh, we got we got that changed. Um, but I was horrified, and it was then that I realized choice is just an empty slogan that had infected medical ethics. Mm-hmm. So I fought for my daughter. Unfortunately, she died at age five and a half months just before her scheduled surgery from a complication. Mm-hmm. And it was very difficult. And before she died, when they were being were treating her and she was on a ventilator, I had one young resident come in and say, why don't we get this over with? Why don't I just pull all the tubes? Oh. And I said, you touch one tube and I will sue your posterior. Mm-hmm. And I went to the head of cardiology, who was wonderful, and I said, uh, told him what happened. He goes, I'll fire him. And I said, well, try to educate him. But if you can't, I don't care how good he is, he does not deserve to be a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. And after my daughter died, that head of cardiology started the first Down syndrome clinic. No way. What's his name? Hospital. Um, I have to think. <laughs> so which ho- and which hospital was that? Because I, I love the development of Down syndrome clinics. It was we great. Just, it was. We just had hospital. one started here in Hartford. We I go to the one Dr. Scott runs. So my daughter has Down syndrome, as my listeners know. In, in Mass General, and now he's going to be able to answer some questions and give opinions remotely, talking about, you know, doctors well, there, being a little distant from the patient. But it's a good idea that if we have a question. I think For example, I, my daughter I, was diagnosed with uh, gluten sensitivity. 
which was something we hadn't picked up in a normal course of things. And there so are a lot that of he, problems. Well, the other thing I did is... Yeah, uh, and they do. And, uh, you know, thanks to the help. But one thing that was so nice is people were... Uh, when my daughter died, I asked that all, in lieu of flowers, that the... Uh, and they could contribute to the Down Syndrome Association, and people were so generous. We wound up with several thousand dollars. We were a very Beautiful. poor organization, and they said, "What do you want to do with it?" And I said, "Whatever you guys think is best." And then they called me and they said, "We've got this very special person who's giving this big talk. She's very expensive, but she's speaking here in St. Louis, and she is um, uh, helps parents with their IEPs, the evaluation wow. program. So, so many times." People with Down syndrome are put in the wrong classes, either to make everybody, you know, better or worse, you know, and not exactly where the child needs it. And I said, let's use the money for that. And we did. We had the first uh, conference for parents on how to help with their child's education. And it eventually morphed into what is now, 35 years later, a full-day conference. That's wonderful, Nancy. I've attended many such conferences, and it helped me. On Friday, I had a PPT at my school with my 16-year-old daughter. We live in a rural school district, and it can be really hard to find the right fit. Because, uh, as you know, because of the high abortion rate of 67 to 90%, uh, once Down syndrome is prenatally diagnosed, People with Down syndrome are very rare. Uh, where children with autism, autism seems to be growing in this country. So all the programs seem to fit the autistic community and not the Down syndrome community. So my daughter has had trouble, been in and out of school. I've been homeschooling her. And I finally found an ideal program, but it's very expensive, as you can imagine. She's learning to speak at 16, Nancy. She had a year and a half ago an 18-month-old speech ability. And now she is just blossoming into sentences. And we couldn't be happier. But it costs a lot of money. So thanks to training in IEP, Individual Education Plan, on Friday we were able to uh, handcraft a wonderful program that is going to help this 16-year-old girl really communicate effectively for the first time. And if anyone doesn't think that's medically necessary, like my insurance company, I've got news for you. Speech is essential. We would be listening to this right now if it weren't for speech. So thank you so much for valuing the education of, of those with Down syndrome. Um, but I'd like to talk a little bit about this young man uh, that just passed away named Tim. Uh, there was a story uh, about a, man, a German man who survived abortion, dies age 21. His name is Tim and he had Down syndrome. Um, in, in Germany, as in many countries, uh, abortion is an allowed late-term abortion past 22 weeks unless there's a, a, a extreme reason a mother has to prove medical hardship or extreme psychological distress. So this baby was scheduled to be aborted, right, little Tim? Yes, it, it's a horrific story. She threatened to take her own life. That's why she felt that, that they that felt was that why was she was suicidal, yeah. which was used a lot in the United States um, because how could you argue with that? And that's how right. abortions that's are right. done legally here, too. So this is in, not in late term. Yeah, so only one problem is they did not... Um, the, the one the baby, bo Tim, was born at one and a half pounds, um, but they didn't give him a shot of potassium chlorate to stop his heart because they figured, well, a child with Down syndrome won't survive labor. Surprise, he was born, the nurses wrapped him in a towel, and the first nine hours of his life were spent without medical care because he was supposed to die. Guess what? He didn't die. So he, um, they did decide to treat him. But the doctors only gave him one to two years to live because of all his health problems, including underdeveloped loves. 
lungs. And the mother, um, he was raised, the parents did not want to keep him, but he was raised by a couple named Bernard and Simone Guido. They started to be foster parents, but they fell in love with him. They were supposed to get a healthy girl. Instead, they got a sick little boy with Down syndrome. But they said after seeing him in 1997 in the hospital, they were in love with him at first sight. We immediately thought he belongs with us. Thank God for those adoptive parents. And there are many adoptive parents with babies with Down syndrome, aren't there, Nancy? There are. In fact, uh, my son and his wife uh, have been able to conceive, and they've been trying to adopt. And my son said, oh, I would love a child with Down syndrome. How generous Um, of him. Most parents say, oh, no, I could never do that. Yeah, and my kids, uh, after my daughter died, I wound up doing um, babysitting for kids who had disabilities and medical problems. I took care of a young man who was on a ventilator at his home, and I took kids into my home and babysat them because they had these medical problems and who else to do it. And Mm -hmm. uh, it was wonderful, and my kids were exposed. I told them, I said, these are my friends. You can play with them or not, and they loved them. We had a nonverbal quadriplegic boy with uh, cerebral palsy whose mother told me, the doctor said, oh, he's just a vegetable. I said, no, he's not. We're going to get him a computer. It turns out he was really bright, but my kids already picked it up. I could see it with them. And they wound up becoming the most loving people. Uh, And I had children. The only ones that were a little difficult for my children were the um, ADHD Kids they could be challenging. <laughs> they could be really yeah, they would play games of hide and seek and then not come out. Oh. <laughs> kids would come up to me. But it was so wonderful. I, I, that was a, a thing I hadn't expected. My children learned so much from these children, and they still to this day love anybody with Down syndrome. You know, they still go, I saw somebody with Down syndrome today, or I saw somebody with this. And uh, it was a really, I had not intended it had no thought of it, but it really gave my children a wonderful education and empathy. It is a blessing um, to get your children used to those with different abilities so that they don't go and judge people by their appearance. Because in most cases uh, where people are uncomfortable with Christine, it's because they've never had an experience of somebody with Down syndrome. Well, this couple... Yeah, and um, well, this couple, once they adopted Tim, they went on and fostered two more children with Down syndrome. Even though Tim was autistic, he could barely speak, and he underwent many operations. They were very sad when he passed away right after Christmas this year. They said, we are sad. He became known as the Oldenburg baby. I think that's so great. They all kind of like adopted him. Right, right. He, yeah, a whole community, uh, this is from Berlin, this story, a whole community, Ogdenburg baby, um, had, had come around him. And as my daughter's speech therapist said the other day, the world would be better with more people down syndrome in it. Because as one, uh, I believe it was Rick Santorum said, his daughter has trisomy 18, right? Um, these, are, these people are teachers of the heart. They, they reach out to your heart and they just move you in such a way that you become a person with who, with more love and uh, who couldn't use more love in their lives right Nancy it certainly this world could this is true my daughter um, at her funeral and she was five and a half months old the priest who I didn't know it was very close to us I did not know it was his first baby funeral he wasn't sure he could get through it but he gave the most beautiful talk about a child who could never walk, talk, or anything, changed so many lives. And people came up to me and they said, I know 80-year-olds that haven't done half of what Karen did. 
the way I took her out. She was on talks. I was working for the archdiocese, and I give talks on different things, and um, particularly about baby Doe. And it just she changed so many lives. And I said the biggest life she changed was that of her mother, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. Without Karen, I absolutely would not be doing what I'm doing. And the same here. Christina was the, the uh, inspiration and is the inspiration. I need to reach out to talk about the value of every life, no matter how short, um, how um, physically disabled. Because there's one thing about these kids. They're not disabled emotionally. They are the most giving and loving people. And uh, they could teach us an awful lot about loving people despite their appearances, their race, their, their abilities. Um, just reach out to everyone in love. And Tim certainly did that. His parents, after he died, said, we are very sad and I don't know how we should come to terms with the loss of our son who was unique, full of life and spread joy. Now this is a young man who really couldn't speak and autism means that he had a lot of limitations and his physical body, of course, was very weak, but he had a beautiful life that brought a whole community together in ways that no, nothing else could have done that. And um, so we have a group, my friend Eileen Haupt and I have a group called Keep Biffins with Down Syndrome, and this time every year we go down to D.C. for the March for Life with a group of like-minded parents of children with Downs and carry signs to remind people that life is worth living, even with Down Syndrome even with whatever it is that God has allowed you to suffer from, it's worth living. You've written about that recently, Nancy, in a, in a blog post. Am I, I correct? I did. There was a beautiful article in the Wall Street Journal by Gail Summers, and it was titled, Life is Worth Living, Even If It's Painful and Short. Mm. And the subtitle was, My Son's Addiction Caused Great Suffering and Ended with a Fatal Overdose. I've Never Regretted His Birth. And I had to write a letter to the editor oh. about that. I've lost not only my daughter Karen, and, and this is interesting, when Karen died, some people tried to make me feel better by saying, at least it wasn't one of your normal children. <gasps> and I said, uh, I, I understood. I wasn't angry, but I said, you know, I don't know if I've had a normal child, and I'm not sure about myself. I kind of, you know, laughed it off. Well, I lost Karen first, and then in 2009, I lost my so-called normal older daughter, Marie, when she was 30 years old, mm. and three years after that, I lost a six-year-old grandson who um, was perfectly normal but did not know he had this time bomb of a recessive gene in his body that caused his death, oh, and at I'm the sorry. same time, the parents were pregnant with another child. They had one child who did not have the gene, this uh, oh. recessive gene. They had a two-year-old who didn't have it. And uh, while we were trying a 10-month fight to save our oldest grandson, Noah, they unexpectedly got pregnant and found out that the new baby was a boy with exactly the same condition that killed his older brother. Oh, but we, that's different. But we were able to save him. And uh, all of us are involved in uh, different things. I said, you know, it was um, just as painful to lose so-called normal daughter and that so-called normal grandson as it was to lose my daughter, Karen. And But I thought what was so interesting about Gail Summers' article was that I've never regretted his birth. And I've done a lot of bereavement counseling, have mm-hmm. written on it in mm-hmm. uh, articles on how to get through something like that because it is extremely difficult to lose a child and Mm -hmm. I lost my daughter Marie actually after a 16-year battle with drug addiction and she committed Uh, suicide using uh, an assisted suicide technique 
And over the years as a nurse, I've worked with many suicidal people, uh, patients that came in. Most nurses and doctors were a little uncomfortable with it. I was not. And uh, to my knowledge, Maria is the only one I lost, which was painful. But like someone course, said, yeah. you know, you couldn't save her because you were her mother. But I don't yeah, regret fighting for her to live, and I was not relieved when she died, as some people brought up. But none of these children, there's never been any regret over these children's birth. Their life is so important, and it changes so many people. Marie herself, because of her story, so many lives have been saved, including some of those of her friends. And uh, there is something called suicide contagion. Mm-hmm. And uh, two people close to her after she died became suicidal, but we were able to save them because I knew. And I had been out doing talks on assisted suicide, this physician-assisted suicide that everybody's so, the media so gaga over. And I talked, you know, I talked about it even back then, and I said, there's such a thing as suicide contagion. You can't present suicide as a solution. Right. I don't care what it is. And then my own daughter died, so I talked about her and how nothing was solved by her suicide, how it was extremely tragic, and how the suicide contagion worked. And because of her, people have come up and said, I heard your story. My child is alive today. Wow. And that really makes me feel so good. Her life was not in vain. I do it all over again. That's right, and as Catholics, we believe in eternal life, and that that these people that are with our Lord, whether in purgatory, heaven, are praying for us. And well, you have, people have two ask, they go, pray for you." What was interesting is some of my Catholic friends said, "How did you get a uh, a funeral for her?" You know, and I said, "Well, because the church knows this is not uh, an act of defiance against God; it's due to oh, depression." No. There's desperation. Yeah, she's not deliberately uh, sinning. She's she feels desperate. She felt hopeless for some whatever reason. And I I haven't struggled with a, a drug addiction, but I you know I struggle with overeating, so I know what it's like to to feel like you can't win. You know. Yeah, and we saved her so many times when she got suicidal and at the end, but it was so bad. And she had told me she said, "Well, I read this book, Final Exit, and it was by <gasps> assisted suicide." promoter. Oh, no. I said, no, that stuff's terrible. And when she died, it turned out she used one of the techniques. <gasps> I found out when I read the oh. autopsy. It was not dignified. It was horrific. And oh. so Marie has been able to save oh. other lives I'm through so it, and which makes me, you know, which really makes me feel good. You know, that does help. And her life was not in vain. You know, and my Yeah, no, no life is in vain. And my grandson who died, you know, I was so glad I was a nurse and able to help. And he struggled so hard to live, and all of us wanted to live. And he was transferred up to Cincinnati, and I would work all weekend, and then I would go up, and um, we'd be with him over the weekend. And we did that for about 10 months, which was very difficult. And um, what I did is I started a bone marrow drive, uh, stem cell uh, that's the mm-hmm. only thing that can save this particular um, disease. And I started it with a friend of mine who was a bone marrow donor, stem cell donor. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started something, and they, uh, the place I worked for was the biggest in 
Missouri. It has mm-hmm. 18 different hospitals. And they said, we'd like to do a story on what you're doing. And, this, and I thought, at least it's something I can do for him since I can't be with him 24-7. So we did it. And right before I went out to do, they wanted to do a photo shoot, we got the word that the new baby had exactly the same thing. Oh, so And so when they did the photo shoot, I told them what was going on. And this uh, organization that I work for, I'd actually picketed one of their hospitals years ago because they did second trimester abortions. Oh, wow. And when it came out and it went to every single hospital, the title of the article was... um, for Noah and his baby, unborn baby brother, Liam. And someone said, oh, my God. I said, I know. What a gift. Right. And since they named him, you know, and they were offered an abortion, and my daughter goes, I'm watching one of my children die, and you want me to kill another one? She said, hell no. Because some people would say, well, that's so you don't lose them when you care about them, but you don't already care about Liam. Yes, and Liam is now five years old. His bone marrow, um, his uh, transplant was successful. He's off all medications. He is a riot. He is so much oh, fun. Oh, I'm so, I'm so he's, happy. He's doing so well, and that's what we, that's what we have. And it was, but I was so proud of my, my uh, she's my stepdaughter. I was so proud of her. I said, that is such a great answer. And uh, but that's how, that's how you look. And like I said, I would never have aborted Karen, even had I known. In fact, when I got pregnant the next time, I was really they tried to coerce me into an amniocentesis, mm-hmm. and I refused that because of your daughter with Downs. Yeah. Well, and also because I already I knew I would love that baby, mm-hmm. and there was nothing shortened lifespan, any condition that would be any different. And uh, right at the very end, my first husband, he's now deceased, was in the hospital and very ill, and his doctor told me, he said, you know, it might help your husband if you weren't pregnant right now. I was in my seventh month. Mm -hmm. I was so angry. I thought, if this is a baby girl, I'm going to name her Joy. And uh, my husband actually never did get better. But Joy now has given me a 20-month-old beautiful baby girl with her husband. Oh, and uh, it was all worth it. And even some people in my family said, your life would have been so much easier without that last child. And I said, you don't understand. Light no. of my life. So that's don't, the thing. Is you, yeah, you don't pray through, for an easy life. Pray to be a strong person. That's always a better option. And that's well, what that's makes true, you... Because Everybody, everybody goes, I never thought I'd lose a child. I thought about it when uh, I was younger, and I thought, Whew, I know that won't happen because they say God never gives you more than you can. <laughs> and I know for sure I can't handle uh, that. Uh, I, I never said, tell really? God what you're capable of, right? Well, God, you know what? That's, a, that's throwing thing. down a challenge to our Lord. You say, you can't do this to me because I can't handle it. That's what I thought, too, about having a daughter with Down syndrome. Think, yeah, I can't handle but, it. See, he, wouldn't, he didn't say, well, listen, Leticia, I'm going to give you the grace you need to handle it. One minute by one minute by one minute, sometimes not one minute too soon. And that's what he does, that, right? That is such the truth. It's like I tell people. I said the real truth is that God gives you the grace if you ask him for anything that you need in whatever situation. And that has been true because I've lost these three young people. I hope never to lose another one. I was left a single parent with three small children and no child care and no job. Mm-hmm. And people said, you can't make it and God and I will make it. And people said, how did you do it? And I said, God. It was my faith. And knowing the right thing to do. 
you know, it's sometimes people, and young people too, they go, ooh, doing the right thing is sometimes hard. Uh, try doing the wrong thing and living with the consequences is what I tell them. <laughs> right, right, right. That's right. And, and, and at the end of your life, those are the things that you're going to be the most proud of, that when you, you accepted the challenge from God, said, God, take my hand because I'm not getting through this without you. And uh, th- those are going to be the, the stars in your crown in heaven, those, uh, those challenges that he gave you that you accepted. And uh, when you said yes to him, especially the yes to evangelization in the healthcare and bioethics field, um, there is so much... Uh, confusion and misinformation. I don't know if you saw that short YouTube video about a woman who'd had an abortion in the Shout Your Abortion campaign. And oh, she's, yes. talk- she's talking with mil- middle schoolers about her abortion and she offers no apologies. And um, it's supposed to be a pro-abortion film, but um, at one point she's explaining to middle school girls how an abortion, an early abortion is done through a vacuum aspirator, and the little girl on her right literally jumps back in horror. I don't know if you noticed that. You know, like, who would do that? There were a lot of terrible moments in that video, and one little girl, she said, are you Catholic? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And she says, yes, I am. Mm -hmm. And so she was trying, you know, this woman was so needy, and the girl Very said, sad, well, yeah. I guess maybe it could be part of God's plan. And she goes, yeah, exactly right. Oh, how sad, Which yeah. Which is crazy. And one, they had another uh, little boy that said, uh, well, how did this happen? Were you reckless? <laughs> and she said that. I love the kid. Yeah. The kid talking to the adult about responsibility. I just love it. And she looks a little insulted. I <laughs> <laughs> she did, and one one boy he he said was saying something like that, and she had this funny look on her face, and then uh-huh. he said something nice to her, and she said, "That's what we all need is to be supported." And I thought, "Yes, you do. You are a needy person." Yeah. And yeah. how sad it was to try to get these kids to accept abortion. Horrible thing. And without, of course, telling them about the other forms of abortion, where the baby's dismembered piece by piece, um, or um, the baby's uh, this the brain is pierced to the back of the neck and the suction removes the contents of the brain so the head can be born. Just terrible, terrible things that nobody has heard about. And of course she's not educating the children about the baby's development. In fact, at one point she calls, a little boy on her left calls the baby a seed cucumber. Oh yeah, yeah, that's it, a seed cucumber. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And he's because not that alive becomes... any more than your arm is alive. That's that was right. Right. And then, and all of a sudden, at birth, that seed cucumber arm becomes an entire human being. Like, that's not even logical. Yeah, there wasn't much logic in there. She was looking for support and trying to change these affirmation of her that. decision. Right? If she yep. felt comfortable with it, why did she have to go in a video to get children to accept her? Her name is Amelia Bonow, and, and the film is called Kids Meet Someone Who'd Had an Abortion. It's on YouTube. And uh, it's very sad. I felt sorry for her because I, she's looking at complete strangers to affirm her decision. You know, when you do well, you something that's right, you don't need anyone to affirm it because you know in your heart you're, you're at peace with it. Well, one of the most powerful things that happened to me was when I was uh, a nurse, and I had to go into home health because I had a foot problem and an operation that didn't work. So I went into home health because I could no longer stand at the hospital. And I would get all all these people that were really tough patients, and they had one, and uh, my supervisor said, can you see this elderly woman? She's really, I have to tell you, she's really pretty horrible to every nurse. She's fired every nurse that she's had. Could you go see her? 
And I go, okay, the, mm. the doctor doesn't know why she's still alive. She's in the end stages of congestive heart failure. She's in terrible shape. She's at this nursing home, and she just seems to hate everybody. I said, okay, I'll give it a shot, and I said, a rosary going over there. And I went in, and sure enough, she was a mean little character, but Aww. I have no ego. As I told you, Letitia, mm-hmm. my kids never let me have one, so I listened to it. I like <laughs> the harder patients. And I didn't respond. You know, I set limits, and then I kept coming back. And one of the things I did, because of her condition, her belly and her legs became enormous. It was hard to believe how she could even walk. It was just really difficult. And one of the things I had to do every time I saw her was measure her legs and her stomach to see if she was holding water and then adjust her medication, Mm -hmm. which I would do. And one day I was doing it, and... She had started to soften a little bit towards me, and she started to cry. And I said, what's wrong? She says, I am so big, I look like I'm pregnant. I said, I know this must be horrible. She said, no, you don't understand. She was in her 80s. She said, 60 years ago, I had an abortion. I've never told anyone, not even my husband. And I know that this is happening now as God's punishment. She said, I don't want to die because I know I've done the unforgivable sin. I said, let's sit down and talk. And I was so grateful that I had gotten that woman. And I talked to her about Project Rachel. I said, I will be with you. We can do it by phone. I'll walk you every way through. I said, there's no such thing as an unforgivable sin. Oh, thank God you had her, Nissy. Where would you have been without the ability to ask God for forgiveness. So did she complete the program? She wouldn't do it. She said, you know, talking with you has made me feel a whole lot better. And so the next time, I said, really, this would be so good. You know, I'm not as well-trained as these people are, and it's just wonderful. Mm -hmm. And so I did it for a couple weeks with her, and then uh, I was going to see her, and I got the phone call. They said she passed away. And I know God, I know she's with God. You know, she went through it, but she talked about it. And I said, I even asked her one time, I said, did the legalization of abortion change your opinion? She said, not a bit. I know. Now, was it before abortion was legal, she had the abortion? Oh, yes. She was in her 80s, and this was uh, 60 years before that. And I saw her in the 1990s. So this was way before abortion was legalized. But I asked her, I said, did that change your opinion or anything? And she said, no. I knew it was wrong. Yeah, and there's so many women out there. Um, I think there's estimates of a third to 40% of American women who've had abortions that are silently suffering. They need to seek out God's forgiveness if they're Catholic and the sacrament of confession and also healing through Rachel's Vineyard. Um, that and is they got a non- it for men, too. For uh, men and for, for so. the dads, some of whom um, didn't have a choice about the abortion, some who did. There's definitely, I believe, um, as, as much as medical efforts ethics have suffered since Roe versus Wade. The American public has suffered tremendously um, from from abortion and from and also birth control for not surrendering the fertility um, to God in marriage and for keeping sexuality in marriage. There's so many scars from this. Um, it's affecting our, our I believe our suicide rates, our addiction rates, and certainly our willingness to have children. Uh, Tucker Carlson also had on his program recently a talk about the uh, birth rate in America is below replacement level. And he said that um, young professional couples can't afford to have children. And I said, well, uh, I don't think that's completely true. I think it's definitely challenging if you want to have the travel you want and an extravagant lifestyle. But, you know, I remember growing up, 
with just my dad working, and uh, he's a professional, he's an attorney. But, you know, we didn't know what a first-hand car was. I think we bought one growing up. You know, our, our vacations were very humble cabins up in the mountains. We, we didn't have the lifestyle that a lot of people are accustomed to. Uh, you know, we would pass around clothes between neighbors, and uh, we lived in a nice, beautiful, middle-class neighborhood, but we, we economized because kids and families were our priorities, you know? That's- that's the most important, and I see with my uh, daughter. People don't want to do that anymore. It's it's uh, it's yeah. unheard of, and it's very hard for a woman, especially a professional woman, to get time off uh, to have a baby, and it it and then um, then there's the trouble of childcare. So um, I was lucky enough to be able to work part time as a teacher. Nice, I worked in night school at a local community college, and able to you know switch off with my husband. And there were many years I didn't work, and I really enjoyed raising my own kids. And, yeah, I don't have a teacher's pension to show for it because I didn't rack up enough hours, but I wouldn't trade those those times for the world. I well, I worked before times. I got married, and in those days, uh, my husband said, you want to work after we get married? I said, sure, I'm a professional. I love it. Wasn't, I yeah, it wasn't done. It was assumed that you'd quit it altogether. It wasn't done, and I explained to him. I said, well, he said, well, when we have children, I said, oh, absolutely, I'll quit. But when the kids get older, I'd like to go back at least part-time. I didn't mm-hmm. have to. It's and great to be a I, professional where you can do that, isn't it, Nancy? We can oh, part-time would, nights, would, days, except, whatever, Saturdays. Except, except, you know, what happened is my husband had a total breakdown and abandoned the family while my youngest oh. daughter was two. And I thought, I've got to go back to work. And I was taking care of my mother who was dying with Alzheimer's and um, thyroid cancer and had a tracheostomy. And my father and my siblings said, we can't take care of her. So I did that. Um, I stayed home, and I, somebody said, you need a job. I said, well, I have to be with Mom. And I told God, you know, take care of us, and we did, mm-hmm. and she died. And then I went out looking for a job. It was at the worst time ever. They were laying off nurses. I had been out for over a decade. Nobody would even interview me, not even interview me. And I prayed, and I said, God, what am I going to do? You know, I need to work. Mm-hmm. I need to support these three children. So what happened is I got down to my last hospital, and I came up with an idea. Instead of my resume having this big blank, I thought of all the volunteer work I did and programs I started. I hadn't really thought about it before, so I didn't say if I was paid or not. I just put down, I started this thing. I've done media work for the Down Syndrome Association. I put down all these things I did. I go, that sounds pretty good. I went in, and they said, where do you want to work? Uh, yeah, that's right, because a lot of the work we do, volunteer work, like hosting a radio show or writing a book, you don't get paid for. But that can be some of your best... Uh, I, I tell people, I said, think about it. I never thought about it until afterwards, but I said, the stuff that you can do as a volunteer are things, a job you could never get. Like, I couldn't be in mm-hmm. charge of an education program. I was in charge of an education program because it was a volunteer group. I started doing media work. Never had taken one in, in my life, you know, didn't know what the world was. I almost flunked speech in high school, and I wound up doing it. I'm still doing it today. I lecture on it, and I go all over the country speaking. Um, I wouldn't have done that. There's nothing I could have taken. And I wound up being what my parents always wanted to be instead of a nurse, is a journalist. And I wound up, because I was short of money and talked myself into um, – trying out for a reporter job for a national newspaper, and I did that for several years to make extra money on the side. Wow, you're a busy lady, huh? I keep saying, you know, that old thing about necessity is the mother of invention. 
oh my gosh, I invented all sorts of stuff. I was asked, I was talking to the publisher of this big newspaper, and he said, I had an idea, and he goes, well, we'll think about it. In the meantime, can you write a news analysis article? I go, sure. Never wrote one before in my life. <laughs> Good for you. They eventually asked if I wanted to work full time. I said, wow, no, thank what you. Wow, an honor. You never said journalism. I could go back wow. to school, but I always but did. All, what all of this is combined to make you the person you are today. You know, a great communicator for the culture of life. You know, your nursing background, your journalism background. If you're open, God will use you in ways you never thought about. When I go back to my high school reunions, they said you were always the girl that didn't talk, mm-hmm. and now you don't shut up. <laughs> yeah. I said, that's all God, too. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Uh, Yeah, well, I used to be afraid of public speaking. If you would have told me in sixth grade I'd be speaking publicly for an hour a week to people around the world, I would have been terrified. I couldn't even give an oral report without a week of anxiety. So uh, the Holy Spirit helps us to give us what we need, the grace we need to do the jobs that he calls us for. And um, so I just want to appeal to all parents and nurses that you are really on the front lines of the culture of life or the culture of death in our society. Uh, parents are being challenged. Um, even if they have another kid, I know quite a number of families with large families, and the, the comments that people make to them out in public are really, really horrible. First of all, why is it anyone's business how many children I have? You know, you know it, Well, when I was pregnant with Karen... Uh, my husband said he got a lot of comments why you have a millionaire's family you've got a boy and a girl why are you having another one yeah like, why blow it right <laughs> it was in the 80s you know like we were taking away everybody's air and to me the greatest riches in life are children there is That's nothing right. more important than family and particularly your children That's and right. i just absolutely adore children i was in mm-hmm. the grocery store today stocking up before this terrible snowstorm hit us and there was a beautiful little girl, and she was so cute. And I smiled at her, and she smiled back. And she's Aww. a little bit older than my granddaughter, and she was just so adorable. I just, you know, I had to stop and talk to her. I didn't care that I had to stock up and run home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to talk I, to her. And my husband says his favorite people in the world are only about three or four years old. <laughs> oh, aren't they, aren't they precious, the things they say? He said the, the best people to talk to in the world are these little kids. And Absolutely. we both have such a love for children. And our grandchildren. We are just crazy about our grandchildren. Oh, well, you see, and where do you get grandchildren from? From your children. So yeah, and they the go, who's going to take care of you when you're old? That's People right. People don't well, have children. I remember when the Great Panthers, and they were older people who were gay. And I remember... Oh, Great Panthers? That, I don't think I've heard that. Oh, this was years and years ago, and they were fighting to get... Um, government money when they got older because they said see we don't have children so we need more help we are disadvantaged because we don't have children well I now thought. they have uh they have babies by various methods or they adopt they do my son and his wife are competing with couples, couples. like that yeah you know yeah. and that's this is uh the sad thing in life you know is uh these children you know so many people think of them as a carbon footprint or a burden or something like that and it was in some ways easier when we were growing up because you could work your way through school i did my mm-hmm. brothers and sisters did my now parents did yeah you can't i got my children through school which was uh an absolute miracle um but i said if you do junior college then you can look at the four year Stuff. And my youngest daughter goes, I'm mm-hmm. too good for junior college. I said, I wasn't. 
Anyway, she says no. no. My daughter and saved I, a lot of money in the year of junior college. She got a full a free ride and saved a lot of uh, debt. Well, you and, know what and I guess did. what? Their science was very good. I wouldn't say much for the liberal arts. They were very slanted. But the science was straightforward, and she got a lot of good science background for her for future nursing school. Well, it was a, a little different with my daughter because she says, I'm not going to junior college. So I said, okay, oh, yeah? then work on getting scholarships. See if you can get enough scholarships to equal what you, know, you could do. Mm-hmm. And she is not necessarily my most talented child, but when she finally graduated, she had a $16,000 scholarship for being a finalist in the Miss, uh, Missouri Junior Miss thing. She had an athletic scholarship. She took up lacrosse and wound up second in state. She wound up with four scholarships, and she went to um, four-year college, and she wound up with two degrees. So it worked out. But I said, she says, Mom, I don't know why. I just don't do that well on tests. And I said, that's fine. The One of the reasons she got such a such good grades was after I told her that from the time she was in junior high, she did every extra article, packing peanut, anything she could possibly do. If there was a way to get extra credit, she did, and she had spectacular grades. And I said, it's like my husband says, hard work is a talent. It is, and unfortunately, not a lot of people with that. Lindsay, we are time is drawing to a close. It's just one more issue. I was wondering if you could touch on. Uh, you wrote an article recently, a blog post. Um, why is the U.S. Supreme Court ducking the issue of states defunding Planned Parenthood? Um, we were very disappointed. Those of us who supported uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh through a very difficult hearing. Uh, that he and just Justice Roberts voted um, against this. Um, defunding of Planned Parenthood in the Supreme Court case that came up recently, Gee versus Planned Parenthood of the Gulf Coast. What, uh, what is your take on that? Well, I wrote a blog about that. and mm-hmm. uh, recently, I have it here. Yeah, you said that And it was versus, about the Gee versus Planned Parenthood case mm-hmm. of whether patients may sue states in federal court for restricting or removing providers from Medicaid programs, right. which... The government had turned over a lot of the funding, you know, let the states use it as they felt mm-hmm. best. And there was a prohibition that abortion could not uh, be covered under Medicaid. Was that However, because of the Hyde Amendment, that public funds cannot be used for abortion? Right, and that was the Hyde Amendment, and that mm-hmm. helped. So mm-hmm. what Planned Parenthood did is they went on a, a real campaign saying that, no, we're, we're there for, um, you know, these poor women, you know, they'll just, if, if you don't, if you defund us, they won't get their health care. They won't get right. all this. We do so much other stuff. Abortion is only 3% of what we do. Yeah. Interesting. So the the new head of Planned Parenthood now says abortion is most of what they do or the most important thing they do. So uh, I, I guess they were lying back then, you think, Nancy? Well, in my blog, I gave the real facts. Um, most of Planned Parenthood's federal funding is from Medicare, Medicaid reimbursements for preventative care and some from Title IX. Uh-huh. But at least 60% of Planned Parenthood patients rely on public health programs like right. Medicaid and Title X. That's right. Uh, they get, Planned Parenthood already gets over half a uh, billion dollars a year from government funding. However, um, they get most of their money really from abortion. Right. And there are many get, other... How do they say it's only 3% of what they do? Because they will take um, 
a woman's visit and break it up into separate services. First, she got the pregnancy test, right? Then she had the pelvic exam. Then she had the STD test. And so all of these are billed separately. So if she gets an abortion, they don't bill the entire thing as an abortion. Am I right? They well, just and bill absolutely. Each. And they say they do uh, breast cancer and... Uh, well, they, they never do mammograms. People know it was mammograms. They don't do mammograms. But they lied and said they did. They do screenings. Yeah. yeah they no, do not a single one. Same Plain way. It's just outpatient, which I could do for anybody, too, you know. Sure. But they talk about physical exams and contraception and pregnancy tense. Uh, which is counseling. all, except for abortion, is provided in your local community health center. In fact, there are many more places, such as federally qualified community health centers, which do not provide abortions, that provide more comprehensive health services right. than those offered by Planned Parenthood. And that's the truth about it. I so was then other concerned. than abortion, women will not miss anything if they Planned will not Parenthood miss were defunded And you also have crisis pregnancy centers that will help mm -hmm. them if they are pregnant. That's right. um, this, was, this is like a, a total lie. Yep. Women can get it better, and there are more of these places, and there's actually more pregnancy centers, too, than there are abortion clinics. They're going down a lot. And I have had a thing about I think it's five to one, and I, Nancy, I'm, I'm in the pro-life movement so long, I remember when we were trying to pass them in pregnancy centers to, to Planned Parenthoods and abortion centers. Now we're, we've got them five to one, as abortion is at its lowest rate since 1973. Thank God. That's why they're going to medical abortions. Mm -hmm. and telemedicine abortions. Which is a pill, um, the abortion pill, for RU-46, the first pill they take in the office, and sometimes it's done by phone, that is prescribed by phone, and a little, little drawer opens in the office that doesn't have a doctor, and the woman is able to take the pill out of there. So she's never really examined, correct? And it's very dangerous. One thing women have, and I've had one myself, is an ectopic pregnancy. You don't want to be mm -hmm. taking these pills with an ectopic pregnancy. Mm -hmm. But right. I wrote a blog on this. is in one medical journal. This doctor said, well, I think we can use those medical abortions even even before women know that they're pregnant. Wow. Which was wow. That's really... That's so irresponsible. We're, or, well, they have a, a, a positive pregnancy test, but, you know, they can't see anything on the ultrasound. That's right. And, and you don't know, so they if, don't it's, know uh, if it's ectopic. Or not. That's right. So, so this and so is many women, I've written, I've written about that, even what Planned Parenthood says, they said, well, it's kind of like a heavy period. There are women who oh, died no. from it, and it's That's right. very difficult, and they don't know where to go. And your abortion clinic provider, um, some of them aren't available after hours, or they'll tell and you. And they don't have privileges in the hospital. So if you go to the ER, your senior doctor doesn't really know what happened to you. Well, that's so what happened in Missouri, because we passed one of the first laws that said the doctor must have admitting mm -hmm. uh, uh, privileges, qualifications yeah. to go to a hospital if there's a mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. And they fought a tooth and nail, and we did get it through. And then one doctor, they said he had problems, and they said, but you're not, you don't have admitting privileges anywhere. He says, yes, I do, in Peru. <laughs> okay, well, just like that poor woman has to go down to Peru. Oh, my goodness. And, and, that's and how that's... crazy it is. But to tell you the truth about Planned Parenthood, one thing, I've always told my girls, never go to Planned Parenthood. I don't care what they say. It's not mm -hmm. good. Or anything, mm -hmm. you come no, to me. Not. And one it's of my not. daughters went to Planned Parenthood one time for a suspected um, sexually transmitted disease, mm -hmm. and they checked her out and 
did a, you know, said, you're fine. She didn't think about it, and then her symptoms got worse, and she came to me and finally admitted she had gone to Planned Parenthood. I said, you're going to my OB right now. I took her to my OB. She had one of the virulent forms of HPV. The doctor wow. had to perform an operation, and so much of her cervix had to be cut away that he said, if you get pregnant again, you'll probably have to be stitched up and then have the stitches removed before you go into delivery. My daughter wow. goes, oh. So my my personal stuff, which I never would have gone to Planned Parenthood, uh, my daughter said, I will never go to Planned Parenthood again. But that actually happened to one of my daughters, and I was just outraged. Wow. I said they suck people in by saying, oh, you know, we can get, don't worry about paying for it, and, you know, whatever you can pay. And that was what happened is they missed the diagnosis. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, our time has come to a close, Nancy. You're always just a wealth of information and stories, and we learn so much from you. Um, so I want to thank you for being our guest on uh, Living the Gospel of Life and for giving us this good uh, general medical advice. Of course, you'd never give personal medical advice on the radio, but just Absolutely. some general medical advice like stay far away from Planned Parenthood, and there's no such thing as a safe abortion, no way to stay away from Planned Parenthood. Any group that sells death is not to be trusted with your life, as I always say. It really is. Doing the right thing, you can never go wrong. That's right. That's right. So thank you so much for being a guest on The Gospel of Life, and we'll uh, see you again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Letitia. I enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed the program, and will join us back for another show on WCHI.